That's straight off the album Songs for Unconventional Vehicles from Brooklyn-based musician, composer, and author Michael Hurst. The collection of songs about some of the strangest cars, trains, planes, submersibles, dirigibles, and rockets is a companion to his children's book Unconventional Vehicles. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Michael Hurst is also the brains behind some other very cool book and music projects, including Unusual Creatures, Extraordinary People, and Curious Constructions. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, George. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So looking at your body of work, it appears that you are drawn to things that make you go, hmm. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never referred to it quite that way, but yeah. Uh that's that's correct. I, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by oddities, um, even as a child. And in many ways, I feel like I'm trying to relive my childhood by writing books and, and creating albums that reflect exactly what fascinated me back then. What did fascinate you most as a kid? Well, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about programming. I, mean, I grew up in the 70s when shows like That's Incredible and, and Real People were on the air. And I remember going to the library at my school and finding a copy of Ripley's Believe It or Not, a, a book, you know, that had little bubbles of images and text. And, you know, I was obsessed with Guinness Book of World Records and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, that that was, it occurred to me that that was sort of a missing entity now. Uh, you know, it's like, a, I mean, there are some things out there, but it just wasn't quite the same. And I thought this is a perfect opportunity. I mean, and it, and it also just stemmed from the fact that as a musician, I love strange instruments. I've always loved to collect um, weird instruments and sounds and, and write music using that stuff. So it was a nice opportunity to put it all together to uh, create these books and albums. What's the strangest instrument you have? Oh, man. Um, so many. I mean, I have a daxophone, which uh, was invented by a German fellow named Hans Reichel. And it's a series of bowed slabs of wood um that you actually how do i explain it uh i'm trying to do it uh in words for radio it's basically a series of wooden beams wooden bars in different shapes that you would bow with a cello bow to make these really strange sounds and to me it sounds very animal-like and in fact it's called a daxophone uh dox is german for badger um, so it sounds like a badger's voice if you've ever heard a recording of a badger. And, uh, and, and there's a song on the Unusual Creatures album called For the Honey Badger, which I used the daxophone on. And it's, I mean, it's like nothing else. What other animals are featured in that Unusual Creatures project? There's also the Magna Pinna squid, which, was, which is a squid with... Uh, tentacles that have has elbow-like tentacles that dangle um you know 30 40 feet into the water there's uh of course the blobfish there's um uh the jesus christ lizard which can run across an entire pond without sinking it has these fringed feet that can open up what else is there uh there's some you know a little more there's some ob more obvious things like the giant anteater and uh maybe the pink fairy armadillo but then um you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, they have the wombat in there and wombat's not that unusual, but uh, it poops cuboid feces, which makes it very unusual. What's the deal with the mimic octopus? The mimic octopus is awesome. I feel like that one uh, maybe will get a little more love now thanks to Academy Award-winning film, uh, you know, my octopus teacher. All octopus, 
octopi, all octopi, have the ability to camouflage themselves by, like a chameleon can change colors and, and adapt to their surroundings. The mimic octopus is extra special because it really can just turn into shapes that look like other sea creatures to protect itself. Uh, and again, all octopuses can do that to some degree, but uh, the mimic octopus is sort of the master of it. Um, it will turn into the shape of a sea snake or, you know, pull its tentacles together or become a sea plant. And it's fat. I mean, you can see videos of this stuff on YouTube and it's amazing to watch it do its thing. How do you approach creating music to accompany a book like that, a book about unusual creatures? That's an awesome question. And in fact, that particular album was instrumental. I really wanted to do something that was sort of in the uh, Peter and the Wolf or more appropriately Camille Samson's Carnival of the Animals in, in that uh, sort of genre of classical-ish music. Um, and that's really what got me into this whole series was, again, I, I was collecting weird instruments and thought, let me write music that could go with weird animals using these weird instruments. Um, and so the album came out and then the book came out and, and then, you know, I, I was asked by Chronicle to put out a second book and a third book. And, and at that point, uh, my second book was extraordinary people. I went the other way around where I released the book and then recorded songs. And for that one, I felt like I needed to have words, lyrics. It wasn't going to be easy to do instrumental music for individual extraordinary people. Um, so the, the albums I've done since then, uh, including Extraordinary People, Curious Constructions, and the newest one, Unconventional Vehicles, all have a significant amount of singing lyrics. I want to talk a lot more about that latest project, Unconventional Vehicles, but I want to get back to Extraordinary People and ask you this question. Why should we stand clear of Roy Sullivan? Stand clear, here comes Roy Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, I feel so set up here. Um, so yeah, Roy Sullivan struck by lightning seven times throughout the course of his life. And this is a guy that I remember reading specifically about in uh, or hearing about on That's Incredible. And was just so fascinated as a kid about this guy. You know, it turns out he was a forest ranger um, in Virginia. And that's significant because apparently there is a lot more lightning strikes in um, the central east coast of America near Virginia, which is where I'm from. And in fact, my parents' house got struck by lightning one time. Uh, so, it, you know, there's a lot more. And he was a forest ranger, so he was outside quite a bit. So, you know, I never want to scare people and say, you know, this could happen to you. Because the odds of getting struck by lightning one time, I believe, is one in, uh, is it 10,000? It's actually, I wish it were more. I think it is like one in 10,000, which is not enough. But, uh, Getting struck by lightning seven times is, uh, what, 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 to the seventh degree. <laughs> His wife was actually struck by lightning one time also, um, just by being in proximity of him. So that is why you should stand clear of Roy Sullivan. When you're creating a book about extraordinary people, how do you define extraordinary? For me, extraordinary was... Uh, you know, I, I think it would be easy to say they're role models, but they were definitely not role models. I mean, certainly getting struck by lightning seven times is not a role model. And it, this, it's a good question because originally my publisher said, well, why aren't you calling it unusual people? And, you know, here we get into uh, semantics and the, the thesaurus. And to me, extraordinary and unusual are very different in, in the sense that um, extraordinary is uh, beyond ordinary. In fact, the word should be beyond ordinary. Extraordinary doesn't really make sense. That sounds really boring. And, you know, so 
unusual sounds like a freak show, unusual people. And I, I didn't want it to come across that way. I wanted people that were exceptional and different um, for things that they had done in their lives and not because they might've had, you know, three arms or something. Um, so, you know, I, I do have some people that are amazing. I, I have, um, you know, role models like Benjamin Franklin and some obvious ones, but then I have, uh, you know, guys like Bobby Fisher, who was extraordinary as a chess player, but certainly not a role model. He was a pretty terrible dude. Um, so it's kind of all over the place. Um, at, at the beginning of the book, I actually made this ridiculous chart where I list out uh, various traits of being extraordinary, things like scientists, humanitarian, artist, activist, daredevil, survivor, criminal, an athlete or a gamer, explorer, performer, inventor, overcomer, which I think I made that word up, someone who overcomes something. But, and then I realized some of these people had several of these traits. Um, so that was kind of fun to, to kind of link all that together. Uh, but I do have pages where I have some of these people who are not role models and I have a stamp on there that says, kids, do not try this at home or, you know, this is not a role model. Don't um, get struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, avoid, avoid getting struck by lightning. Uh, do not um, uh, send a letter to Osama bin Laden praising him, which was something that um, Bobby Fisher did. There you have it. What inspired this latest project about unconventional vehicles? Again, I love oddities and, and just going through the list of things that I thought would be fun to write about. You know, in, in hindsight, I wish I had released the Vehicles album second. I think it would have been a more fun follow-up to Unusual Creatures. But I'm glad I'm getting it in. Um, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I've, you know, I love vehicles and it's, it's interesting because I also feel like these books are a platform for me to do a little bit of preaching. You know, I, I always want to say something about the importance of the future and the planet and this and that. And, um, you know, I do feel like it's important for young people to be aware of this stuff. And with unusual creatures, I point out obviously um, endangered animals and, and deforestation, all that stuff. And with this book, I have an opportunity to say these things are amazing, but uh you know, you know, my favorite vehicle of all is my feet. I live in New York City and I love to walk around. I love taking the subway and, um, you know, and I also managed to throw in some really fascinating solar powered vehicles and wind vehicles and stuff like that. But uh, again, to answer your question more specifically, I love things that move. And I mean, to me, it's just the coolest thing to see something that is not what you see every day and to go back to your definition, something that makes you go, huh. You write and sing about a flying cathedral. What's the story there? Yeah, that, well, that's a little deceiving. Uh, it is a flying cathedral by appearance. It's, it's a balloon. It's a hot air balloon. There is one really fascinating hot air balloon that uh, was flying over Europe. I believe it's now in South America, but it was designed to look like the Cathedral of St. Gall in Switzerland. And it was for the anniversary of... Um, of the cathedral and I mean, it's just beautiful and it's massive. And uh, uh, so yeah, this, the song basically just tells you the whole thing in the lyrics. Why is there a cathedral in the sky? A balloon with its passengers so high. It's a floating Saint Gallen 
What's a beer bike? Oh my God. Uh, have you been to Europe? Are you, uh, I have, you've yeah. Probably, yeah. So you've, you've probably seen these. Um, uh, they've become, uh, I mean, and they're not just in Europe anymore. They're all over the place. They're taking over. And uh, frankly, I wish they'd go away. And I feel like maybe by writing about it, it will help or not. Maybe it's glorifying them. I'm not sure. But yeah, these beer bikes, you see them uh, in big cities, particularly in Germany and Amsterdam and stuff. But uh it's 12 people sitting around on seats, all pedaling all together sideways. They're all sitting sideways because they're at a table where they're drinking pints of beer. There's one guy in the front with a steering wheel and he actually, I think is in control of the keg. Um, and uh, the first time I saw one, I was in Germany working on a project and this thing just flew by in the middle of an intersection. And <laughs> it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. I think it was like 9 a.m. You know, and someone turned around and raised their glass to me. And uh, I was like, what in the, what's that? Here in Germany, it's just another day. There's a 12-person beer bike in my way. I was in my car, and the light turned green. But blocking my way was this ridiculous machine. So I yelled and shrieked, let me pass. But a woman just turned around and raised her glass. And then they pedaled with 24 legs. The driver steered as he How did you go about researching which unconventional vehicles to include in this book and to create music about? Researching is one of the most exciting parts to me with all these projects. I love just digging in and trying to find everything. And my, the first thing I do with all these books is I just Google constantly, look at books constantly, ask everybody I know. I, you know, I've always been very open source about these projects and, you know, thanks to, uh, Facebook and Instagram, I can easily crowdsource and, and you know, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm like, Hey, here's what I'm working on now. Anybody have any suggestions? And I write down everything. I just make a list on my phone or wherever and I'll have 500 different ideas for vehicles. And then it's really a curation process of going through and finding which ones are going to make the most awesome book in my opinion. You know, I, I don't want too many, uh, in, in the case of unusual creatures, I don't want too many sea creatures. Let me make sure there's birds and, you know, and, and with people, let me make sure I'm hitting every ethnicity, gender, all that stuff. Uh, vehicles, same thing. I know people typically think of cars or things with wheels when they think of vehicles, but, um, you know, this is, this is why it was important to me to say on the cover of the record and the book that, uh, you know, it's including, um, airplanes and dirigibles and submersibles and rockets and all kinds of stuff. And that's what was fun to me. I, I probably would have been bored if it had just been cars, although there's so many great cars too, maybe not. What would you say is the most unconventional car? Well, car is, car is an interesting term. I mean, you know, again, like we're talking like a car that you drive uh, on. So, I mean, there's the solar powered race car, which I love the solar powered cars. And there's one race in particular that goes from Darwin to Adelaide in Australia. Um, 
and I had uh, the great Darren Hanlon of Australia sing that one. But then I have some crazy things like the big wind, which is, I, you know, I guess it's a car-like creature. It's, it's like a tank that has um, a tank engine, but uh, jets from a MiG fighter plane on it. And it was used to put out the burning oil um, lines in, uh, in Iraq during the Iraq war. They couldn't figure out how to put these things out because the flames are so hot and just blasting out of the ground. So they took uh, the jets from a MiG fighter and put it on a tank and it sprayed water into the jets and you know, this thing cruised out and just put out the flames. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, does that count as a car? I don't know. I guess not. This sounds like something that should be featured in your Unusual Creatures project, but it's featured in unconventional vehicles and that's a flying jellyfish? Is it a bird? No, I'd say it's much more bugger insectish. It's a tiny flapping robot invented by two dudes. They call it the flying jellyfish. The amazing thing about this thing is that it stays upright. With just four little wings, it can correct itself in flight. It requires little power while through the air it soars. Now we just need to figure out what to use it for. Yeah, there's definitely a crossover. I think I used that moment to um, self-promote the earlier book in the book by saying, by the way, check out this book. Yeah, that one I came across in the New York Times and was just fascinated by these two guys, uh, one of who I've been in touch with, who worked for NYU. Um, and their their research was to figure out how to make um, a small, very small um, flying vehicle that could flap its wings and stay upright, which is tricky it, it sounds easier than it is it's a very tricky thing. people have been trying it for centuries i mean it's um or at least a century or two and failing with it uh but thanks to computer technology it's like we now can figure out how to do this and, and it's similar in the sense of a drone but really small i mean this thing is the size of a, of a dragonfly or a hummingbird and it knows when it's tipping one way or another and can rewrite itself you know flap one wing harder than another um so you know i talk it's they call it the flying jellyfish but it really um it, it's probably more like a, a a flying insect looking thing or something and and what they're going to do with these we have no idea but i was intrigued nonetheless and thought this this has to go in the book speaking of drones you also feature pizza delivery drones Yeah, so this this one's a stretch. I mean, this might be the one entry on the album and book that um, might be a little deceiving. It, it did exist. There was one that was made for a commercial. Uh, and I interviewed the guy who made it. I interviewed the pilot for it. Uh, it never uh, took off, I do with silly air quotes, um, for obvious reasons. I mean, uh, the FAA is not going to allow pizzas to be delivered by air anytime soon. Um, but it was kind of a publicity stunt that Domino's Pizza did for, you know, hey, we're going to start delivering pizzas by drone. And they called it the Domicopter. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that it will still happen. Of course, I'm not particularly interested in Domino's Pizza, but I would love um, some New York slices to come my way by Domicopter. What's an ostrich carriage? The ostrich, well, we just had the Kentucky Derby and, you know, 
people obviously know horse races, but there is a long tradition of ostrich races, races too. And not only ostrich races, but even having sort of rickshaw-like vehicles that were pulled by ostriches. I, we don't see them too much anymore. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a common sighting, but uh, and for good reason. The ostriches are very difficult to uh, stay in focus. I mean, talk about, you know, you have blinders on a horse to keep the horse from going, looking all around. Ostriches are even worse. I mean, they actually had to put entire blindfolds on their heads for the races. And when the race starting gun or whatever went off, probably not a gun because it would scare the crap out of the ostriches, they would lift the uh, bag off the ostrich's head and take off. But even then, half the time, these ostriches would just decide to take a sharp left turn or sit down or whatever during a race. So uh, it wasn't the most practical, but um, you know, again, it's one of those things where you can look up ostrich carriages and you'll see some really awesome old pictures of people <laughs> sitting in, in the back of a wagon with an ostrich pulling them. Who wants to bet on my ostrich carriage? Who wants to bet on my ostrich carriage? Win, place, or show, and though you don't know, take my word that I have the fastest birds. The walking truck sounds like something straight out of Transformers. It totally is. And I have no doubt that the walking truck inspired Transformers and George Lucas with the AT-AT. This thing really looks like a Star Wars walking, I don't even know what they call them. Uh, what is the AT-AT? That's an all-terrain something. I got to get out my nerd hat and look it up. But um you know, those things that look like giant dogs that walked across the planet of Hoth. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of what this was. And in fact, um, it was a failure, like many of these vehicles. Um, it did not uh, go quite as planned, but it did lead to other things. The, the walking truck itself was uh, maybe about 15 feet tall and could fit one person in there. And the one person who sat in there, his arms and legs were connected to... Uh, or tethered to um, mechanics. So when he moved an arm, it would make one leg move. When he removed a leg, it would make another leg move and they were to hydraulics. And it was incredibly strong. This thing could, could, you know, crush anything, but at the same time, it could be gentle enough to just tap on a light bulb without crushing it. So it was amazing. The problem was it went through gallons and gallons of oil just to move for three or four seconds. Um, so, a failure in that sense, but it really was the predecessor to a lot of hydraulic equipment that's used today in, um, you know, in the International Space Station, station and in doctor's offices. And, and you can go visit the uh, walking truck still in Virginia at the uh, Fort Eustis uh, Army Base, the Transit Museum, which is, and I, and I did, of course, <laughs> it's the coolest thing ever. The songs on the album are considered miniature songs. Why don't you describe what that means? What's a miniature song? I've always been uh, a fan of brevity in the sense of music and writing. I mean, I, I have a collection of short stories I've written that are all, you know, four sentences long. I've always loved writing songs that are that don't repeat. There's no repeated verses or choruses. And this seemed like the perfect opportunity to actually put this out into the world. 
Um, it, you know, it may not be quite as popular as some, you know, I feel like it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes with the listener just because it doesn't give you a chance to really get in the groove ever. Um, but that's part of the fun of it. Um, because I also wanted to have an, a song for every entry in the book, it would have been in a crazy long album uh, or double record. And I thought, let me just do short little songs, most of which are under a minute long. I mean, some are as short as 20, 30 seconds. There are a few that are a couple minutes long, but um, collectively the entire album, I think is like 35 minutes for 47 tracks. How long does it take you to do a project like this, the children's book and the music? Uh, it takes me as long as the deadline will allow. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I was prepared to have this whole thing done um, over a year ago. And in fact, the book has been done for a while. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and I was closing in on finishing the album as well. Uh, but my publisher said, let's wait another six months before releasing it, which was uh, a good idea, I think. And that allowed me to just play around with the album for another six months and, and kept tinkering and playing with it. Uh, I went a little crazy. I mean, I really went nuts with production on all 47 songs, you know, and tried to make them very unique and different from one another, but still somehow gel together as an album. Um, but some of the tracks, you know, are 30 seconds long and have 40 instruments on them. <laughs> and it turns out it is not any easier to write a 30 second song than a three minute song. I mean, once you've got the gist of a song, it's like, okay, I can stretch this out to 10 minutes, whatever. Um, so really it was a lot of work to put together all these songs. What can you tell me about the musicians you worked with on this project? Lots of guest vocalists. I certainly didn't want to be uh, responsible for singing all 47 songs. I think that would have been a mistake. Um, so, you know, I, I went through my virtual Rolodex and called all sorts of friends. Well, we're just about out of time, but before we go, I want to talk about one of your other previous projects because summer is here and that ice cream truck will be rolling down my street any minute. You wrote an album for ice cream trucks, songs for ice cream trucks. Ice cream. Ice cream. Yes. Uh, that was sort of my first kids album accidentally it was not meant to be a kids record i just thought it'd be fun to write i was like you like everybody i was so tired of hearing the same terrible song over and over again and i thought man somebody really needs to write some new music for these guys and, and, and it occurred to me that that was going to have to be me so i wrote and recorded a whole album's worth of new songs for ice cream trucks uh proud to say that many of them are being played by trucks all over the country um, in fact, I was just commissioned by a new ice cream truck startup, I think in North Carolina, that has a fleet of you know 10 trucks to write them a theme song. So it's kind of been a hilarious, fun, you know, my whole life, my whole career is just a happy series of stumbling and saying yes to things and getting myself into this weird nook that I'm in. But that album was entirely instrumental, uh, as you expect, with lots of Chinese sounds and so that it could cut through the air and, and with the purpose of, in fact, selling ice cream. Um, and it sort of accidentally became successful with small children. I was getting emails from parents saying, oh, my toddler loves this record. And um, So that was really a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Perhaps another one of your previous projects will be very useful right about now, too. And that's Songs for Fearful Flyers, as more people 
take back to the skies and go on vacation once again, huh? Yes. I mean, uh, I keep thinking the more frequently I fly, the less afraid I'll be, but it doesn't seem to work. And now I haven't flown in over a year, which has been awesome. I've been more relaxed over the past year not flying. And I realize that's such a, <laughs> such a massive thing, but um, yeah, I hate flying. You know, I, I do it a lot and I, I just suck it up and do it. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I did this album of songs that I thought would soothe me. It was for me. I wrote it for myself, you know, and, and um, hope that it maybe soothes some other people out there. Features a spoken word cameo from actress Whoopi Goldberg, who doesn't like to fly, right? That's correct. I uh, was going through my list of people who, famous people who uh, hated to fly and was like, oh, Sam Shepard, uh, Who- uh, Whoopi Goldberg. So I had this conversation with Whoopi Goldberg on the phone uh, and she was telling me, you know, things you can do to breathe and this and that. And, and I'm our, my brain's like, okay, how do I get, you know? And I was like, hey, Whoopi, if I do an album of songs to soothe fearful flyers, would you do something for it? And she said, absolutely. So that was really what led me to do the album, was just that conversation with Whoopi Goldberg. That's great. So, Michael, where can people go to learn more about your work, find out more about unconventional vehicles and these other great projects? Everything is at my website, michaelhurst.com. Um, but I imagine just a standard old Google of any of these things will get you something good. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. George, thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Our music is courtesy of Michael Hurst. Thanks so much for listening.